Sing it out. This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Make it loud. We're giving everything. By the cross, we've overcome. Welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Uh, we are currently studying in the letter to the Hebrews, and we have come to Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, and we're studying in verse 21. So if you have your Bible, if you want to take a moment, open up to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 21. And I am reading from a King James Version. That's my version of choice. Um, so if, uh, what I'm reading sounds slightly different, that's what it is. Uh, I prefer that version, uh, but you can uh, use the version that you prefer. So we have been looking at different aspects of faith, the different facets, you might say, of faith and how it's manifested in the lives of believers. So faith itself is a gift from God and that through grace and everyone who is saved uh, at the moment of salvation is given this gift of faith we go through life learning how to live by faith prior to being saved we only live by the flesh and we know very well how to do that you know you have to, it's a process you have to go through and you learn different things some things from the flesh manifest immediately other things you learn, right? So faith is similar in that uh, some things uh, that are associated with a life of faith manifest immediately. Other things you grow and learn as you progressively move forward in this new Christian life. Uh, in the early church, they called it the way. So this is the way, and the way is the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that said, let's take a look at the verse today. The writer um, has been giving us examples, historical examples, that would have been very significant to the Hebrew people at that time and are very significant to us. Those of us who have studied um, the Bible know that these are key uh, figures that he's pointing to most of whom up to this point have been in the book of Genesis exclusively. So he's going in chronological order and he's introducing these key individuals that were tied to the promises um, that God had uh, given to Abraham. And we looked at Abraham and example of, you know, examples in his life of faith. Uh, we looked at Isaac last time. And now in verse 21, we're going to look at my favorite, Jacob. And I say he's my favorite because Jacob, to me, is every man. He's an example of what it looks like to live a life in the flesh. And then once God interjects himself into his path and... Um, turns his life around and changes him, we see him living a life by faith. And the contrast is glaring. Um, and I think that's why there's so much written about Jacob 
and so much in Genesis about him. And I can relate to Jacob in that from that standpoint that I can see the contrast between who I was before the Lord saved me and then the life that he gave me afterwards. And there should be a difference. There should be a very noticeable difference. So uh, I'm going to read the verse. It says in uh, Hebrews 11:21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. Not, that doesn't seem like very much that's being said there, but there is quite a bit, I think, that we can get from studying this. So let's take a look at uh, this verse in a little more detail. The fact that we're associating faith and an example of faith with Jacob, I think is a blessing in and of itself. And it's a testament to the sovereign grace of God and how that he's able to take any person who he wants to and make them into whom he wants them to be. Um, it's all God, it's all his power, his grace and his purpose. Jacob's life is one of those that kind of make me smile because he represents, like I said, the average man, someone that I can relate to. Slow to learn, right? And too often choosing the most difficult path to learning what God has for me to learn. The same thing was true of Jacob. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both sons of Joseph. So the detailed account of this is in Genesis chapter 48, and I'm not going to go back and read through that, but I, I do encourage you to read that so that you can get an account, the details around uh, what's being referred to here. So the biggest thing that I took away from those details were that Joseph uh, fully expected his firstborn to receive the blessing. So just to give you a synopsis of what this is referring to, Jacob is an old man now and he's dying. Uh, and let's talk about that. Before I get into that, let's, let's, let's talk about the fact that he is dying. Um, that, I think, is important because it shows where he, where he ended up as opposed to where he was, right? Uh, if you look at his life before this, there's a lot of things that happen between when he kind of deceived his father. Well, he didn't kind of deceive him. He literally deceived his father and supplanted his brother and then went running, um, there's a lot of things that happened in his life, but now this is the very end of his life and he's dying. And so a lot of times when people are dying, they are very introspective and they can look back over their lives and they can see what things, some things that they thought were very important were not very important at all. In some instances or things that they thought were insignificant, now they can see the significance of them. It's the uh, vantage point. It's the advantage you have from having that vantage point of being able to look back. And, and, and Jacob was at that point in his life where he could look back and he could see now God's purpose in the entirety of his life. And that's something that the older we get, the longer we walk with the Lord, we have that advantage. We have that blessing to be able to see those things. 
And we need to see those things because they encourage us and they make us to understand what God's will is for our lives and his purpose being worked out. And it's encouraging to us. So that had to be the case for Jacob as well. So he's dying. So that sets the scene of what's going on. So um, now he's dying and he's called uh, Joseph to bring his grandsons Ephraim and Manasseh, the two children that Joseph had while he was in Egypt, separated from his brethren. And so um, Jacob is laying on his deathbed and uh, someone comes to him and tells him, hey, your son Joseph is here with his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so in faith, Jacob musters up the strength to sit up and he sits up to greet his uh, son and grandsons. And um, these sons didn't have the benefit of Jacob's ministry because they've been in Egypt. They've only grown up in Egypt. The only knowledge that they have of their grandfather, of the blessing of Abraham, of Isaac, their historical, their heritage comes from um, their father, Joseph. So now they're going to get to meet the patriarch. They're going to get to meet the one whom the blessing has gone through and the one who has a relationship with God and is able to um, prophesy about their future and as it relates to this blessing. And we have to understand the significance of this blessing, of the land, the seed, and the blessing. God has promised these things to the nation Israel, starting with Abraham, and he will fulfill them. There's no such thing as that blessing being translated into the church. The church is 100% separated from that blessing. All of these blessings associated with the nation Israel are land, earth-based blessings. The whole book of Hebrews has been talking about heavenly blessings because the church now has... Uh, been given heavenly blessings, but the nation Israel will receive their 1,000 year reign uh, on earth. They will receive their millennial kingdom. Okay. All of the things that God promised to them, they will get them. God has assured them and he, they are assured in Christ. So here we see uh, that tradition uh, of that blessing being passed down, being uh, given to um, Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So that's kind of the setting. So Jacob gets himself together, sits up so that he can greet his sons, his uh, son's sons, his son's son, his grandsons, <laughs> Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So um, it, the way that the text is written it seems as though this may be his first time actually being able to see them and meet them. I don't know, but the way that he responds to them, uh, that could be the case. I would think that he would have, uh, that Joseph would have introduced them to him before, uh, but probably not in this intimate like uh, setting. But Joseph knows that uh, Jacob is dying and he wants to know how will it be with my sons and 
Um, God has revealed that to Jacob. And so Joseph knows that, you know, Jacob has that relationship with God and that he is the one that can pass on the blessing. So he wants to make sure that Ephraim and Manasseh um, are accounted with the rest of the nation Israel of all his, his brethren and his kinfolk. So he brings him in uh, before Joseph. Joseph finds the strength to sit up to greet them. And this is kind of what happened. So um, uh, Jacob must muster up the strength to, 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 to greet his grandchildren. And Joseph brings the kids, the grandkids to Jacob. Let me clarify that. So Joseph fully expected his firstborn to receive the blessing because that was the rule that the firstborn would receive the better part of the inheritance, but not just the, the physical inheritance, but the actual blessing to say that uh, not only will you know you be blessed by God and God is going to watch over you and provide for you, but the blessing that says that, you know, you have the expectation of this thousand year kingdom of this Messiah, um, that God was going to preserve his name in your people. That's very important that we understand that that's a key part of this blessing that God would preserve his name and the connection to God through your descendancy. That is very important to see because, you know, Ishmael was blessed. He says he's going to be a wild donkey of a man, not be able to get along with even his brethren, but he was going to be very rich. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. That's who the Arab people are, but that's not where the blessing went through. The blessing and the relationship with God did not go through the Arabs. That's why the Arabs are Muslim and they worship something other than um, Muhammad and and the things associated with uh, with um, the Muslim faith. So so the the actual testimony of the one true and living God was going to go through the nation Israel. And so Joseph wanted to make sure that his sons were a part of that blessing. So he brings them to Jacob to get the blessing. But the interesting thing that happens is that uh, the younger son, Ephraim, receives the, the blessing and not Manasseh. Now, why is that? Why would Manasseh not receive that blessing. And in the account, you can see where Joseph was like, no, dad, you don't do that. Manasseh is the older one. He should receive the blessing, right? Which both hands were on both uh, children, but, um, but Jacob crossed his hands to put his right hand on Ephraim, right? So that was odd because, um, that signified that Ephraim would receive the blessing over Manasseh. And so Joseph reacted and uh, Jacob says, I know how you feel. I understand, but this is God's will. This is the will of God. So the thing that I took away from that 
And I think that we can take away from that. And this happens over and over in Genesis is that this is clearly the doctrine of election being uh, presented that in spite of what you would think uh, the firstborn would normally receive the blessing, but the blessing went to the younger. Um, it happened over and over. We see it happening with um, with um, you know, I, I don't know why I'm not I, I'm drawing a blank, but Cain and Abel. <laughs> so you know, Cain was the firstborn. But we see the righteous one was able, right? And it can, continues to happen. And, and again, with Jacob and Esau, Esau was the firstborn and should have received the blessing, but God chose Jacob. Uh, and here again, we see Jacob now fulfilling the purpose of God in election by giving the uh, blessing to Ephraim. So the doctrine of election is to many people very mysterious, right? It's some people are afraid of it. It just seems like, I don't understand. How does it work? It's very simple. God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants. And no one can slap his hand and say, what are you doing? And if he wills for something to be, that's how it's going to be, right? That's how it is. That's the bottom line. Election is of God. And it's his purpose and his will being manifested uh, in, in the uh, lives of people. That's what election is. It's really that simple. Um, I love the doctrine of election because it's a comfort to me. It comforts me that God would choose someone like myself and that his decision is irrevocable and final. I mean, that's a comfort to me to know that God has chosen me and I can't be unchosen. It's impossible for that to happen. The, I think the biggest problem people have with election is that we don't know who is elect. Only God knows. And people who are not saved have a problem with that. But believe me, once the Lord saves you, it's one of the most wonderful doctrines you could ever learn. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to know that the reason that we're once saved, always saved is because God has chosen us to be in that position, to place us in Christ. And we're there for eternity. And that's all of God. It has nothing to do with me. That means I can't do anything to mess it up either. Right. I can't do anything to lose my position with God, just like I can't do anything to gain a better position with the Lord Jesus. It's it's all of God and his sovereignty. So I love the doctrine of election because it, it's a real comfort to me. Uh, people who don't like election are those who don't like it, that God is sovereign and does as he pleases. But I have I have some uh, word of uh, encouragement for you if you're one of those people. And it comes from Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So um, you can be upset with God. You cannot like something that he does. 
But that's not the place to be. That's not the best place for anyone. It's actually the worst place. The best place to be is in a place of submission to his will and a position of thanksgiving and a position where you're ki you kiss the son and you bless him. Okay, because that's what you want. You do not want to kick against the goat. You know, Paul found out that that was hard to do. You know, it's not the way to go. So, um, election is all through the Bible. It is a doctrine that God has given us to comfort us and to give us peace about his will being done. And... I'm glad it's his will and not mine. I'm glad it's not your will because my will and your will, it's tainted by sin. God's will is perfect. God's will is right. And I praise him for this doctrine of election. So here we see election being manifested. And I'm sure Joseph wasn't too happy with that because the whole time he thought, that Manasseh, the one that helped him forget his uh, troubles and all the pain that he felt being separated from his family, he thought that firstborn was going to be the one that received that blessing. And that's what we do as parents. You know, we can subtly kind of play favorites. But we have to be very careful not to do that because each one of our children that we've been given has been given to us for a reason. And we have a responsibility to them, not only to provide for their physical needs, but for their spiritual needs. And that never stops, no matter how old we get or how old they get. We always have something that the Lord has for us to give them. And we should just be praying that the Lord makes them to be. Uh, open to whatever ministry that he's given us to have, give to them because um, that's a, that's the purpose for him giving, giving us children and for us to be in their lives. And we see here that uh, Jacob was fulfilling that ministry even on his deathbed, not only to his children, but to his grandchildren. In verse 21, it says that he blessed both the sons of Joseph and he worshiped. So he blessed them and he announced a blessing on their lives. You can see that in Genesis in the detailed account. But it says here that he blessed both the sons, which he did, although um, Ephraim received the greater part of the blessing. Um, he certainly blessed them both. But the act of him doing that, I think, is really important in the condition that he was in because he saw and he prioritized God and he prioritized his ministry to them. And it says that he blessed both the sons and he worshiped. So we have to see in the act of being faithful here, Jacob in this, in pulling himself together, gathering his strength and carrying out this, act of faith that he was prioritizing the ministry to his family and he shared what the Lord revealed to him and that it was the word of God when he blessed them this is what God told me 
about each one of these, your sons, Joseph. And I'm going to tell you that I'm going to faithfully execute that ministry in spite of the fact of my physical, physical condition or where I am in life, because this is God's will for you and for me. So even on his deathbed, we see Jacob still worship. And that's what a life of faith will do for us. It will put us in a habit of worshiping. And nothing will come between us and our worship of the Lord Jesus once we continue to walk in faith and develop a habit of worship. You know, we can do a lot of things. We can develop a lot of habits. But to walk in faith means that you have a habit of worshiping God. And it's very important that we understand that that's what we're called to do. No matter what else you have to do in your life, what other responsibilities you might have, things that you want to accomplish, that's great. But none of that supersedes worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And you just have to understand that. He's God. He has redeemed you and redeemed your life. Your life is now his and should be lived in a way that reflects that. So we should always be worshiping God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Always. Now, the key to that is to understand what worship is. You know, worship is not going to church until you turn into a pew. That's not worship. You can worship God and be so far from a church that you forget what it looks like. Worship has to do with your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and maintaining that relationship through acts of worship because the Lord Jesus doesn't change. His connection to us is constant. We can break that connection through taking our eyes off him and, you know, wandering, straying away from the path, you might say. But he never lets us go completely. He's always holding on to us. So the responsibility for worship is also tied to our daily walk and our relationship building with the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be building our relationship with Jesus on a daily basis, moment by moment, right? Everything that happens in our lives should be filtered through our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And if there's something in your life that you don't feel like you could uh, share with the Lord Jesus, that it's not something you can do and still worship him, then you shouldn't be doing that. You should look at that very closely to see why. Because there is nothing that we have that he hasn't given us, right? So if there's something coming in that is not a part of his purpose and plan for you in worshiping and maintaining this connection, right? This spiritual connection through God, the Holy Spirit and being in, indwelt and being filled with the Spirit. Because we're always indwelt with the Spirit, but to be filled with the Spirit means that we have an active, engaged relationship with the Lord Jesus through God, the Holy Spirit active and engaged very important those are important words to understand that is the key to worship
right? And so I can do anything. I could I go to work and have an active and engaged relationship with the Lord Jesus. I could drive my car to work and home and have a active, engaged relationship with the Lord Jesus. I could have conversations with my coworkers and have an active and engaged relationship with the Lord Jesus. Because through that, it is going to give me that ever presence needed so that at a moment's notice, if he calls on me to speak, if he opens up a door of opportunity to witness, I'm going to be ready to do that. And a lot of times you'll find that you'll be witnessing and ministering to people without even being aware of it yourself, because you have gotten to a point to where you're in this, you know, active engagement with the Lord Jesus and you're constantly in conversation and connecting with him through prayer and supplication. So um, that's when we are walking by faith. That's what that looks like. And that's what uh, Jacob was doing even on his deathbed. So our lives and how we live it in constant prayer and giving thanks, you know, for everything. Uh, Paul said it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That is what we should be doing. That's what being engaged and connected to the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus results in is a rejoicing you know a joy and it's something it's very different from being happy you'll see a lot of information out there about oh this is how you can be happy find your happy place happiness is found in this or that or in experiences and you know i don't need happiness because happiness depends on what's happening right i want joy because i can have joy when everything around me is going to pieces. That's the key. I can rejoice in knowing the Lord Jesus and his care for me, how he's watching over me, how he provides for me. I can rejoice in his word and the study of it and to, to learning more about him and his person. Those things can bring me joy in spite of what's going on around me, in spite of my physical condition, even like, um, Jacob here, who was dying, he could still rejoice. He could still have joy in worship. Jacob wasn't laying in bed because he was sad. He was dying. But he was praising God for all the wonderful things that God accomplished in his life. If you read the details of the account, you'll see that he rejoiced that he was able to kiss the face of his grandchildren. And from the son that he thought he would never see again, not only did he see his face, but the face of that child's children. Jacob rejoiced. Jacob worshiped. He's a wonderful example, um, I think, of how God ministered in his life and the results of a life lived in faith. You know, he was an example to the generations that were before him, his son and his grandsons to show hey this is what true faith looks like this is what a life lived walking with god looks like and we need to understand that we have that responsibility as well that there's people that are looking at us 
And are we able to say that we're giving them that example? That's a good question to ask. That's a question that I ask myself. That's a question that you should ask yourself and that we should ask the Lord to show us and reveal to us the answer. Okay, that's very important. So to me, um, Jacob is an example to us of what a life of faith and witness looks like. What it looks like to proclaim the word of God. Because that's what he was doing, even on his deathbed. It says that he worshiped. And it says that he worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. To me, this is the most significant part of this example that's given to us. And I hope that I'm able to explain this properly. So it says he worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. And you'll notice that leaning is in, is in italics because that's not actually in the original text. It just says worshiped upon the top of his staff, but it's implied that he was leaning upon his staff. So this is a picture of an old man who has very little strength left. A man that has come to rely on this staff for help to do the thing that, that he and we in our youth take for granted, right? We don't think about running up steps or, you know, walking vigorously or even running, whatever it is that, you know, we have to do. We don't really think about that very much. But the older you get, you become more conscious of these things. Because uh, I remember when I could run and uh, run and run, you know, for hours with no problem. Um, and my, I, I would gain my breath back like that. Um, but now, uh, I don't think I could do that. In fact, if you see me running right now, something's really bad because there's no reason for me to be running. <laughs> but my point is that, um, Jacob was at that point of his life where he had come to terms with the fact that, you know, he, he needed that staff. Um, I, I go with my mother to take her um, to get her hair done about once a month. Um, and it's an all-day affair. And uh, it takes time for her to, you know, to walk because she has a walker. And she depends on that walker to be able to keep up. And I have to slow down. And then I have to help her into the car and I have to help her by uh, clicking her seatbelt. And um, it's a process and it takes a lot of time, but she depends on that walker so that she can get along. And that's what happens when we get older. And at this point, Jacob was on his deathbed. So he he had been using that staff for quite a long time. But I think what's important to see here is that that staff is also a picture or a metaphor for Jacob's faith in God. At one point in Jacob's life, he didn't rely on anything other than his own ability and his clever mind. In spite of the fact that doing those things would always get him in trouble, more trouble than the problem he was trying to solve, right? In Genesis 32, 
we see the account where Jacob had a wrestling match with the Lord. And Jacob would not yield until he was blessed. He would not stop wrestling with God until he was blessed. The Lord in his grace left this mark. Um, I call it a mark of comfort for Jacob and that he injured his leg. That's how he got him to submit. He had to injure Jacob's leg. The injury caused the wrestling to stop and Jacob would see it throughout his life as a reminder of how God blessed him in his submission. Because that's what was happening. Prior to this point, Jacob was fighting God. And God changed his name at that point to Israel, which means a fighter for God. And so Jacob kept fighting against God to the point to where he wrestled him. And God caused him to submit, right? And he did that by injuring his leg. So Jacob would have to use a staff for the remainder of his life. So the older he got, the more he depended on that staff to be able to get around, to be able to function and do the things that he needed to do. This was to Jacob a permanent physical handicap. But God used that in the life of Jacob to remind him of his dependency upon God. When others saw Jacob, you know, they just saw this man limping with a staff. They would only see the weakness or the disability. But Jacob knew better. He knew that he would be cared for and he would be provided for, not by his own strength, but by the faithful power of God. And that was all tied to him leaning on that staff. Jacob had a dependency upon the staff. God caused him to have this dependency because God knew he needed a constant reminder that God was there with him and to be reminded that, hey, Jacob, leaning on your own understanding gets you nowhere. But if you lean on me, you'll go everywhere you need to go and then some. That was the message that God gave in this uh, injuring and making him to require this help, this staff. Jacob learned to stop trusting in his ability and learn to lean on the grace and provision of God. And it took years. It's not something he learned overnight. But the older he got, the more he leaned and depended on that staff. And that's the same thing with this walk of faith. The more you walk in faith, the more you understand and learn that we have to depend on God. We're able to see that dependency and understand and embrace it more the longer we walk in faith. That's why it's so important for us to walk in faith. Start today. Don't wait till some other time to figure this out and go, oh, you know what? I'm going to start walking in faith. Start walking in faith now. That's what this chapter 11 is about. That's what the writer is telling us, the importance of walking in faith and how that it 
there's a purpose of God in it. And it teaches us just like it taught uh, Jacob. And he would lean on that staff. And that was a, a metaphor for him trusting the Lord Jesus, trusting God. God caused Jacob to need the staff. And it was a very purposeful need that pointed Jacob back to that wrestling match, right? Where he first uh, was injured. And he would be able to always look back and go, yep, that's where God taught me to trust him. And so whenever he was tempted to uh, lean on his own understanding or to try to take the matters into his own hands, he would just remember, remember that staff, remember why you got it and what caught, what event led to it. And that's how the Lord minister to Jacob. And I think he does the same thing with us. He gives us um, a physical, some type of physical um, ministry, you know, in our body. Like he'll make us to understand, like as we get older and we start losing strength, um, he'll make us to understand that that's just his way of causing us to rely on him and those of us who are getting older we can relate to that pretty easily um, that that's what's happening in our lives i mean there was a time when i would walk down the street pretty confidently uh, not worried about anything or anyone but the older i get i realize you know i don't have the ability the strength that i had before i don't even have the reflexes that i had before and it reminds me that, you know, just like back then when I thought it was, I was strong enough to, and fast enough to evade anything, uh, I really wasn't. That was God just watching over me. And that's the same God that's watching over me today, uh, in spite of the fact that I don't have the same strength. And that's, I think, the message here that's being ministered through this staff. Uh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Familiar with that verse? Um, the rod is for discipline, but the staff is for guidance and support. And we need both. We need the Lord's discipline, the, the, the instruction, uh, his guidance from the ministry of the word. And we need that staff, that support that we can lean on and lean into during tough times, when things come up that are unfamiliar and it seems like we're being pressed on all sides, we have to learn to lean on that staff, that staff of faith. And that's, that's what um, I believe the writer is presenting to us here using the example of Jacob. Paul had a physical trial that God used to remind him to keep his eyes on the Lord Jesus. Um, he said, uh, there's a thorn in my flesh. It was a physical trial that would, would come up and it would keep him uh, focused and remind him to keep his eyes on the Lord Jesus. And that's what he said it was given to him for. He asked that it would be removed three times and the Lord said, no, you need this, Paul. You need this to help you become the Paul I want you to be. And so this is not 
a foreign concept, right? This is something that the Lord does. Here in Hebrews 11.21, the writer is, is exhorting us to lean on our staff, the Lord Jesus. A life of faith is a life of trusting the one who will hold us up in spite of the circumstances of life. Okay? Looking to Jesus, fixing our gaze upon him. Okay? Not just a casual look. Fix your gaze upon him. How do you do that? That's because he becomes your focus. You have to focus on Jesus, who he is and what he has for you in your life. Fix your gaze upon him. Okay? The world, the flesh, and the devil want to take your gaze, my gaze, off of him. But we've been equipped with the whole armor of God. And we must, having done all, stand. Our resolve is to serve Jesus and to rejoice in him. And that's what we need to do. Faith will give us that ability to do just that. Jacob learned to walk by faith. Uh, leaning on the staff that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who has come to reveal the salvation that is only in him. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. The same Jesus that wrestled with Jacob is the same Jesus who has brought us salvation. He was born of a virgin. He lived a life of sinless perfection. And he died on a tree to bear the sin, the curse of sin, for all those whom the Father gave him. All those who God elected to be saved, to be given into the hand of Jesus to redeem, Jesus will redeem. Okay? That's the way it works. And the Father raised him up on the third day as proof. Okay? Proof that all of those whom he's given him are saved. Right? That's the proof that the salvation is in Christ. The resurrection is so vital. Okay, we serve a living Christ. He's alive. He's active. He's at work in our lives. We, we're, our faith is in a live Lord Jesus Christ, exalted in heaven. He's seated now, exalted. And he's working on our behalf to work in us, to make us to be whom he wants us to be. And as we live our lives, as we worship him, as we are engaged and we're connected and actively uh, worshiping him in our lives, he's using us to minister to those around us. It's, 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 it's amazing his purpose and how that he has purposed all these things in us. And each, each one of us who are saved, we're being used by him in different ways for the same purpose. It's pretty amazing. Jacob wrestled with God and Christ. And I wonder if we don't wrestle with God and Christ sometimes. When we take our eyes off him, that's what we're doing. We're, we're wrestling uh, against his purpose for us. So it's, it's not something that we should be doing. We should be walking with him in faith, not wrestling, but rejoicing. And I pray the Lord will, you know, cause you, cause me 
to rejoice in submission. Rejoice into submission to who he is and to what he has for our lives. And that he would set us on this path of life that's in the Lord Jesus. And that we would reflect that life as we live our lives amongst everyone else. I I went to Sam's recently and there was a lady that when you go out of the store, she has to look at your receipt and she had a necklace on a, it was kind of like a, a lanyard and it said, I love Jesus. And I bent down and I said, Hey, you know what? I love Jesus too. And you should have saw her face. And she said how she prayed that believers would come in every day. And she encouraged me and I hope that I encouraged her. And that's what happens when we're, we have our eyes on the Lord. We, we get to enjoy those kind of blessings. We're a blessing to other people and they're a blessing to us. It's really important. The Lord Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. Faith is the free gift of God in salvation. A life of faith is the only outcome of true salvation. Jacob learned the hard way way too often. Let us not be like Jacob, but instead learn from his life. See the difference that walking in faith and how that that blessed everyone around him that he came in contact with. Prior to that, he wasn't a blessing to anyone. But after that, he became a blessing to everyone he came in contact with. Let us lean on the word of God and make that our staff. Let's, let's do that together. I pray that's what the Lord does in our lives. Let's close. Father, we pray that you would make us to trust you and to live a life that is a life that's pleasing to you. And the only way we can do that is by living a life of faith. You've given us so many examples in this, just this chapter alone. Um, and we just thank you so much for how that you're patient with us and you continue to minister, minister to us through your word and teach us. And we thank you for your patience. And we pray, Father, that we would be, uh, that we would positively respond to your divine revelation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.